Thank you for joining ReachMD XM157 for this month's special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, with 40 million adults affected. How far have we come in treating this problem? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz is currently Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Director of Adult Outpatient Services, and Assistant Director for Residency Training at SUNY Upstate Medical Center, where he also directs the Depression and Anxiety Disorders Research Program. His clinical and research interests include treatment-resistant depression and anxiety, psychosomatic illness, adult psychopharmacology, and antidepressant augmentation for efficacy and tolerability. Welcome to ReachMD. Great. Thank you for having me. Dr. Schwartz, you've spent a considerable amount of your professional time treating and researching anxiety disorders. What have you learned? Well, you know, I think we've learned how to make better and more accurate diagnoses, and that's a good thing. The dilemma is we have some good treatments, but they're not always perfect treatments. So I think I've learned a lot about that, but we want me to learn more about treating these illnesses to complete remission. Now, you've recently wrote a paper called History Repeats Itself, really a wonderful review about anti-anxiety meds. Can you briefly run us through the history? Well, I can try uh, if you give me some room here. You got uh, it. Cut me off if I get long-winded. <laughs> But we'll go back in time. Back in the 1950s, we had FDA-approved antidepressant medications called the uh, MAOIs, and these were good drugs for depression. But a lot of times we failed to look at some of the preliminary anxiety data, particularly more social-type anxiety. There were some relatively good studies. But also in the 1950s, we didn't have all the compartmentalization that the dsm 4 offers us, so, so we really didn't have all the maybe five anxiety diagnoses we have now. So it's tough. You're looking at terms like anxiety neurosis and that the MAOIs were reasonable in treating it. So there are some older drugs with data, though it's harder to decide sometimes what you were treating. The tricyclics came out, and we certainly have data with amipramine and desipramine and, and panic disorder. Those studies showed me that the more serotonergic drug, amipramine, was good at it. worked maybe 70% of the time. But the norepinephrine-based drug, desipramine, was pretty good, too. It worked about 50% of the time. So we can learn some things from the older medicines that are out there. Then we entered the era of the SSRIs, the Paxil, Prozac, Zoloft uh, type group. And what we found is we went to a serotonin-only approach. We had the five different anxiety disorders. There's FDA approvals for most of these drugs in many of these areas. So we saw some very good research, uh, double-blind placebo-controlled studies. And what they show you is an average amount of your patients get an average better. We don't really have the benchmark for curing patients in these psychiatric studies. And it was nice. We had better data, but it, w it was limited based on the serotonin-only approach. And now we're starting to come full circle. We are repeating ourselves. The product Effexor, which is a generic name, Venlafaxine, it's a serotonin and norepinephrine drug. It has FDA approvals for generalized anxiety and panic disorder and social anxiety. So we've kind of gone back to the tricyclic-looking model where you might hit more than one neurotransmitter. So one way we've come full circle is we're just using more chemicals to treat it. And I think the other way, we are always trying to find the next best Valium or Ativan or Xanax. The benzodiazepines were used for many years in between this too, but given their addiction levels, we, we demoted them to second class. We are starting to see that there's a resurgence in use of these drugs, particularly for people that aren't cured with the more serotonin-based drugs. And we're always looking for a drug that can work outside of the serotonin system. So there's lots of off-label ideas in that area. So we are starting to come back to where we were. Aren't benzodiazepines very frequently prescribed still? 
Yeah, I personally think they're great medications. They work very well. They're some of the most prescribed medications probably on the planet still. The dilemma is I think we get worried that they're addictive, certainly, and sometimes I feel that's overplayed. I'll go out on a limb here, too. There's probably one or two percentage of the population that will dose escalate these and get hooked on them, and they are generally people that have had addictions to other products already, and that tends to happen mostly in the psychiatric area. But many anxiety patients use the products appropriately. They don't dose escalate. They don't get harmfully addicted to them. Their efficacy rates are very high. Uh, They might even be better at calming anxiety symptoms than the SSRIs we just talked about. They don't have weight gain. They don't have sexual problems. They certainly have sedation as a problem. So maybe they're even, they have less side effects. But I guess the addiction risk kind of seems to trump everything else in this day and age. So I do think they're very effective. I think we underutilize them. And they certainly are, uh, despite that, they are still well used. Do you think maybe people get confused between what's addiction and what's physiological dependence? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great point. Uh, an addictive problem would mean you're using you know, a drug, let's say, like Xanax, in a maladaptive pattern. You're using more and more of it. You're giving up social obligations. You're doing more Xanax despite medical problems. Driving while impaired is an example. But you know, folks with anxiety disorders, right, they would be physiologically dependent if you use a high enough dose, where if they quit cold turkey, they can go into withdrawal, but they don't have those maladaptive social patterns tied with it. So yeah, I think there is a big difference between being addicted to a substance in a negative way versus being you know, tolerant physically to it. So perhaps we shouldn't be so timid about prescribing them to anxiety disorder patients. I think if you wanted to follow guidelines, you still work with the SSRI class and the SNRI class, but I'm certainly relatively liberal if those do not cure my patients. I'm certainly more opt to go towards a second drug like a, like a sedative. So I would agree with you. Again, you have to monitor your pill counts and how much you give out and make sure the patient doesn't refill them early and things like that. But I think they're a relatively safe product if, if you monitor them. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host. And with me today is Dr. Thomas Schwartz, we are discussing anxiety treatments. Now, Tom, I know you've been very involved in researching new anti-anxiety meds. What's on the horizon? You know, I wish I could give you details on what's going to be FDA approved tomorrow or next week. I don't know if I have those answers, but some ideas that we have. We are always looking for products that are outside of the serotonin norepinephrine continuum. I mean, those products are reasonable, but we are always looking for something else that's reasonable. So we look at a lot of the epilepsy medicine sometimes. We would look at products like Neurontin, which is gabapentin, or Lyrica, which is pregabalin. These drugs are calcium channel-blocking drugs in the brain, and sometimes there's off-label but peer-reviewed data suggesting they can be helpful. Our group is looking at products that can dampen glutamate. Glutamate is a chemical relatively understudied in psychiatry. And the idea is that glutamate is an excitatory, stimulating chemical, and maybe too much glutamate can cause anxiety. The flip side is if you can dampen glutamate, if you can slow it down or reduce it, the net effect is your brain will have more GABA. Remember, GABA uh, facilitation is how Valium and Xanax and Clonopin work. So I think glutamate is kind of an exciting area. I don't know if we have any big-name products or huge studies that we could share with you, but at least in a a pilot phase, products maybe like uh, Camper, like Camprosate, uh, it's used to treat uh, alcohol abuse, or Namenda, which is memetine for Alzheimer's. These are glutamate-dampening drugs. Uh, I can speak of another researcher, uh, Dr. Zarate. I'm seeing some of his work with the Lou Gehrig's disease drug, uh, Riliazol, also a glutamate dampening drug. Uh, He has some small double-blind studies. 
So I think it's another interesting way to look at it. What neurochemicals have we not really researched too much yet, and how might they be beneficial? When you're thinking about treating patients in real life, why don't you run us through your algorithm if you're using, according to guidelines, something like SSRI or or venlafaxine first, then where do you go? Going back to the basics, always question your diagnosis. Did you do a good job making an accurate diagnosis? And then, like you said, I would choose FDA-approved products, so maybe one of the SSRIs or one of the SNRIs like Effexor right now. If you used clearly a full dose and a full duration, really try to get the products towards the high end of the dosing range, assuming they're tolerable, and you probably need to wait several weeks. Uh, the more data we see in obsessive-compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, Sometimes you can't just wait three to four weeks of the full dose. You probably should wait six to eight and make sure you're not going to get a treatment responder in a delayed fashion. But assuming you've really, maybe you started with an SSRI, you've just really went after serotonin first, maybe switch to venlafaxine or Effexor as a discussion point. Again, maximize this product. This particular drug incorporates more norepinephrine the higher you go. And even in their clinical trials, the higher doses work better when you're using serotonin plus norepinephrine. Now, let's say you've gotten to a full dose and a full duration. You've really tried two products to a heavy degree. You know, if your patient is partially better, I think you have options. If they've not done psychotherapy, particularly cognitive behavioral therapy, it's worth referring them, and I think that's a very good augmentation strategy. Uh, if you don't have access to psychotherapist or CBT therapist, yeah, maybe you do head towards going with another medication. One idea, again, is to go to the benzodiazepines. If there's not an addiction issue, there's not a health issue, I think using a sedative on top of your effects is not a bad idea, and it's certainly FDA approved. The other off-label approaches might be to use something, as we said, like a Neurontin or a Lyrica. Lyrica is a class 5 drug. It's a little less addicting than other things we use, but you could try the calcium channel blockade. Though I think what's probably come in probably more fashion these days are using the atypical antipsychotics. And, you know, my experience has been that these are relatively useful drugs. They all block dopamine receptors, which can calm patients down. They all block the serotonin 2 receptor, which is similar to how the antidepressant serozone and Remeron works, at least partially. Many of these drugs have serotonin 1A receptor stimulation, and that's a fancy way of, of how buspirone or buspar used to work for generalized anxiety. So many of the atypicals, even though it's off-label, have the chemical properties to help treat anxiety, Again, I'm not completely in the loop. Uh, the rumor mill is that you know, maybe the product Seroquel, quetiapine is the generic name, is certainly now approved for bipolar depression. And, and again, in the works, I think there have been posters presented that they are looking at some of the anxiety disorders as monotherapy. So my hope is we get more and more peer-reviewed data, possibly some FDA approval to help sanction the use of the atypical antipsychotics. You mentioned Buspar in there in passing. Do you ever use it? Yeah, Buspar is an interesting drug. Back earlier in my career, I wasn't terribly happy with it. And I think now that I've read more of the data in regards to some of the, um, let's say, the STAR-D trials, some of the double-blind data that's available for the drug, and, and particularly depression, what I think is we've underdosed it. I think a lot of us were hanging out using the 15-milligram dose, and, and it's a much better drug, like most of our products, if you can get up to 30 or 45 milligrams per day. The other error we made, it was only approved for generalized anxiety, but I saw people using it left and right for panic disorder and OCD, where there really was no compelling data at work. So I think if you pick your patients correctly, pick a standard generalized anxiety patient, dose the drug really well, I do think you can see some very good effects. I personally think the SSRIs and SNRIs are probably a little bit more powerful for efficacy. 
but they also carry more sexual dysfunction, side effects, and things like that. So sometimes Buse Bar is a nice compromise. You may give up a little bit on effect, uh, but you also have less side effects. Mm-hmm. How about combos, using Boost Bar with one of the antidepressants or with a benzo? Yeah, again, I think it's another great idea. I think you're using how buspirone or buspar works through stimulating the serotonin 1A receptor is kind of a unique property. So if you're already uh, stimulating serotonin through an SSRI using the serotonin reuptake blockade, this is another way to affect serotonin. It makes rational sense to go ahead and try adding the, the abuse bar in. It's another way to help the serotonin system help your patients. So I think it's a good idea. Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Thomas Schwartz. We have been discussing treating anxiety disorders. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, features a special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry.